What's going on, everyone? And welcome in to another edition of Beast Chief Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Friday, September 9th, 2022. And we're breaking down a Cardinals loss and a couple of Brewers wins. Unfortunately, I had to go and open my big mouth on last night's episode and talk about how the NL Central was done and dusted and over because, well, the Cardinals had a comeback win on Wednesday night and the Brewers lost their game. It was a nine and a half game lead. And then Thursday went as bad as it possibly could from a division standings perspective with the Brewers unbeknownst to me at the time, having a double header to play. And guess what? They won them both and the Cardinals lose. They fall to the Washington nationals in the series finale, 11 to six at Bush stadium. So we're talking about, that debacle but there were some good things that happened in the Cardinals game and we'll try to get excited about those things as it was a record tying day for Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina and then Yadi coming up with a big day offensively in his own right so despite the turmoil that became this game for the Cardinals against one of the worst teams in baseball and then ultimately because of that splitting the four game series two out of four against that not very good ball club. There were some good things to talk about. And then we'll also have to talk about some bad things. Um, but, you know, this is a team right now that still up heavily in the division. I still think the Cardinals are going to win the division. One day did not change anything, did not change my mind. Although, it could not have gone worse, as I said. With the Brewers winning two games, the Cardinals losing one. It's now an eight-game lead instead of nine and a half. Doesn't feel nearly as secure as it did a day ago. But I've already spoken. I've already opened my big mouth, as I said, and declared the division is over. So we'll see what ends up happening the rest of this month. And if you guys want to get really mad at me, there's already uh, a groundswell forming. Because ever since I said it, the Cardinals have lost a game and a half in the division standings. But that is what that is. Talk about the game itself. 11-6, to the Washington Nationals beating the Cardinals. Talk a little bit about Adam Wainwright. He was the starter for this game, obviously, with the Cardinals' most famous battery doing doing its thing, getting to 324 in terms of starts in a career together, which ties Bill Freehand, Mickey Lolich for the all-time record. And then next Wednesday, presumably, they've got a chance to break that. But talk about Wainwright and maybe his effectiveness, where it's gone in recent outings, what the numbers are of late and whether we have any reason to be concerned. Got a good, interesting question from Dana on Twitter in in a direct message asking about Adam Wainwright. And so we'll get into the nitty-gritty on what his recent numbers have been on tonight's episode of the show. Talk about the offense a little bit. Obviously, Yadier Molina, two home runs that he comes up with. We'll tell you the historical nature of that, how long it's been since he's done something like that. Of course, he does it on a day when he and Adam Wainwright were setting a record, though. He rises to the occasion and did so offensively for the Cardinals in Thursday's game, but the rest of his teammates did not do enough. But really, it was not an offensive issue as much as it was a pitching issue for the Cardinals. On Thursday, we'll talk about who got lit up in the bullpen and whether or not we're looking toward the manager, Ali Marnell, for the blame game in this one or whether that 
is to be considered somewhat of an overreaction and one that I saw on Twitter pretty heavily on Thursday afternoon. All that and more coming up on today's episode of B-Shape Daily. But before we get into the content of the show, I'd like to quickly remind you guys, you can subscribe to B-Shape Daily on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate the podcast five stars and leave a review if you'd be so kind on either of those two applications. And you can also support the show by heading to my Twitter account, would be one way, at bshafer12, clicking on the money tab, which will link you to Cash App or Venmo. And another way you can do so would be to join up on the Patreon, patreon.com slash bshafer12. Do so on a monthly basis. Big thank you to Caitlin, who signed up on the Patreon earlier today. Appreciate you very much. Glad to be getting things rolling and uh, making a little money off of the work here on the podcast. Appreciate the work you guys do in listening because that keeps us going. Let's go ahead and jump right into the content of the show, though. At this point, 11-6, the Nationals beat the Cardinals on Thursday afternoon at Bush. I actually got to go to this game at least for a little while before radio duties crept in. 4 p.m. radio show, so I had to leave a little early to get back home in time. But it was fun to get back down to the ballpark for the first time since the birth of little man, my son Gabe. And so it was cool to get down there. I didn't see any of the bad stuff. I mean, Wainwright struggled in the game. Uh, The Cardinals were giving up runs constantly. Five innings, four runs, nine hits for Wainwright. I saw all that. Didn't walk anybody. But it was the offensive explosion from Yadier Molina that I got to see in its entirety. Home run to Big Mac land. Nice touch on September 8th of all days. As, of course, 1998, Mark McGuire hitting home run number 62. And then uh, Big Macland is where Yachty went with his first at-bat in Thursday's game. And then his second at-bat snuck it inside the left field line into the corner where it juts out, kind of like Lars Newpar did a couple weeks ago. Yachty's second home run of the game. And it was another one, just like that that homer from Lars Newpar, where it's like he didn't realize he had gotten it. Nobody in the ballpark was quite sure what had just happened. But Yadier Molina, a multi-home run game. The first of his career since April 2021. I believe it was on the road in Philadelphia. Overall, the ninth multi-home run game of Yadier Molina's career, but only the second time he's done it at Bush Stadium. May 14th, 2017, against the Chicago Cubs, being the only previous iteration of that. So, rare air for Yadier Molina, even within his own career, with what he was able to accomplish on Thursday. Offensively, that was uh, the bulk of of what got done for the Cardinals. Corey Dickerson ends the day 2-for-5 with two RBIs, but we got to talk about him defensively. I'm not sure how this guy ever won a gold glove, but he did. He's got a gold glove to his credit in his career history. He has had a really tough time with those those sinking liners, those t- not the, the fly balls, the sky-towering shots, but the line drives have been really troublesome for Dickerson. He does not take very good routes to them, and it happened again on Thursday, leading to a couple of runs for Washington. Ball goes over his head after he sort of Takes a takes an unfortunate route to the thing. And so defensively, he's been, I think it's fair to say, a liability. Now he continues to just rake. He's up to a 290 batting average. And as I mentioned, 
two for five in the game on Thursday, a couple of RBIs. So he's getting the job done offensively for what the Cardinals need in their lineup. But man, he'd be such a better fit as the DH. Like that would be such a better way to use him. Obviously, though, you've got Albert Pujols that you're trying to fit into the lineup. And Albert, with that 840 OPS, still going strong, even after an 0 for 5 today. Tried to squeeze Albert into the lineup there against a right-handed pitcher because, again, the division's over, and you might as well. Like, I'm, I'm going to say completely bold on that and say nothing changed. I'm not going to go back on what I said just yesterday. Let let me sweat it out a little bit before I start to, to worry. It's still an eight-game lead. It's not the day you wanted when you just predicted the Cardinals would win the division and guaranteed it, but things are still fine. Nevertheless, Albert getting into the lineup on a regular basis the rest of the way, which is probably the case, even if it's against a righty, because you're trying to get in the opportunities to get to 700 homers if you can, still sitting on 695 at this point. That means Corey Dickerson probably going to have to play the outfield pretty often if he's going to get into the lineup. And, again, with Dylan Carlson now on the injured list with the thumb, yeah, probably you might as well. It's just not It's just not as easy to have a good defensive alignment when that's the case. Alec Burleson made his Major League debut on Thursday, went 0 for 4, but did reach base via walk and scored a run. He's more of a right field. He could play some left field, too, but he's going to be a corner outfield type. And Tyler O'Neill was scratched from the original starting lineup. Ben Deluzio got the start in center field. Good for him to get his first major league hit, one for two on the day, and then it was Lars Newpar that pinch hit for him, and it was Newpar that played center field, which that was right around the time that I was leaving the game. Popped on the radio broadcast, and they were speculating about, well, here comes Newpar to pinch hit. Who's going to play center field? Surely they wouldn't put Newpar out there. And in that moment, as I was listening, I thought, yes, they will. They don't probably have a choice. After making this, I mean, the choice would have been Deluzio just to stay in the game. But when they want Newt Bar to pinch hit, he's got to stay in there because I don't know if Tyler O'Neill is going to be healthy enough to participate after being in the lineup and then being a late scratch. So didn't necessarily surprise me, but the lack of sort of depth at center field is certainly showing for the Cardinals when you look at Harrison Bader traded away, Dylan Carlson on the injured list. You don't really have anybody else on the 40-man that has a lot of experience or at least on the active roster, there's a lot of experience in center field. So it could be something very interesting to track. We thought the Cardinals had this plethora of options, and that trading away Harrison Bader made all the sense in the world, uh, just from a, a depth perspective. But very quickly, you know, you've had Dylan Carlson not hit, and so you don't feel as confident in him as an everyday player. This is more of a conversation for 2023 and beyond, kind of what that looks like. Cardinals would do well to get a guy who, as sort of a bench player, unless Newt Bar can do it defensively, which would be wonderful if that was were the case. I guess they thought well enough of it today to have him in there. But if you're not sure about that, get a guy who can be an outfield presence, maybe a guy that steals some bases, maybe a, a fast, speedy dude, defensive replacement type that could be on the active roster, could be on the bench. Um I don't know off off the top of my head whether that should be a left-handed batter or a right-handed batter. Probably a guy who bats left-handed just because it could complement what we've seen from Dylan Carlson as a guy who has not done very well against righties. Maybe that would be the way to go. But that might be a, a sort of a positional outline to circle on your off-season wish list for the Cardinals 
And I mentioned the base stealing aspect. It may get easier to steal bases in 2023 because uh, Evan Jelich and uh, I believe it was Rosenthal, it was the athletic that had the story that on Friday, MLB, it's going to be voted upon to basically implement the rule changes that Rob Manford wants for 2023. You're going to get the pitch clock. You're going to get larger bases, and they're banning the shift. Ahead of each pitch, you got to have four infielders with their feet planted on the dirt and their feet planted on either side of second base, two on each side. So very severe limitations, essentially a ban on the shift coming to MLB next season. But where I am interested in it for a base stealing perspective, larger bases, so inherently the bases can be a little bit closer together by about three inches or whatever it is. Actually, six inches because first base will be a little larger. You figure second base a little larger. So that makes the path between the two a little shorter. Maybe you want to steal more bases because of that. I think it's 15 inches to 18 inches is what they're going to. And then the other aspect is the pitch clock. That's going to severely limit the pitcher's ability to control the running game. And so maybe teams are going to take advantage of that and say, we're going to now value more the idea of guys who can steal bases. And maybe having guys off your bench in that regard would be interesting too. A guy that could come in as a pinch hitter and steal your base, maybe score your run, steal your run one way or another. And then he comes into the game defensively because he is a supreme defensive center fielder. Don't know offhand who that exact guy would be, but a, a positional outline archetype to kind of keep in mind. I'll be curious to see if those types of players, especially for winning teams who would be so inclined to go to defensive replacements late in the game, be curious to see if those kinds of guys get more of a, a bump in free agency, uh, how they are treated by the market with these rule changes coming into effect. But interesting to think about what that center field depth right now looks like for the Cardinals. It suddenly seemed to disappear into thin air when we thought, yeah, things look pretty good. Crazy the way your outlook changes when the outlook on Dylan Carlson suddenly becomes much, much shakier than it was or than it felt back when the, the, the deal for Jordan Montgomery was made and you didn't want to trade Carlson for Juan Soto and you think you're locked into this guy and Boy, a few weeks go by, and he just has not been performing. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Tyler O'Neill, by the way, tweet from Jeff Jones this morning, said he was getting treatment for a stiff neck, and if it had been a 115 start instead of 1215, he probably would have remained in the Cardinals lineup. So hopefully nothing long-term is what we take away from that for Tyler O'Neill, but we'll have to wait and see what his participation is over the weekend as the Cardinals head to Pittsburgh for a quick series out in Pennsylvania. Talk more about that upcoming schedule and why we feel good about things for the Cardinals, despite how poorly Thursday went. But let's finish up first talking about the offensive performance from the game. Uh, Brendan Donovan remains very, very good at getting on base. He had a bunt hit that was beautiful. I'm not usually one to rave about bunts, but he got one down that was absolutely picture-perfect. And it contributed for him to a three-for-three game in which he reached base five times. Three hits, three at-bats, two walks, two runs scored. Not a bad way to boost the on-base percentage. It had fallen below 400, which is not a place that it's been very much for the season for Brendan Donovan. And so, I guess he thought, oh boy, I better get on the the horn here. Now he's back to exactly 400 even for the on-base percentage. 
And he was the leadoff man for the Cardinals on Thursday because Newt Bar not in the lineup with Deluzio playing center field. Talked about Burleson getting into the lineup. So I like the decision to bump Donovan up to the one spot. He showed he could handle it for sure. And I think that may be something you try moving forward, try to fit different guys into the second spot in the lineup because Newt Bar has not been really as productive recently. Uh, was 0 for 2 after coming into the game as a pinch hit replacement today. And 043 is his batting average of the last seven games. He's just one for his last 23. And that one hit was a homer. But one hit, one walk over that stretch. Just a, a real struggle for Newt Bar. So, hey, move it around, shake it up, make it happen. I think that's fine. That doesn't mean I'm out on Lars Newt Bar for the remainder of the season or for the future. But uh, no reason to keep forcing it if it's not working for the time being. So Donovan at the leadoff spot, good. Love it against righties. Um, threw Tommy Edmond back up there behind him. I don't know if I mind that for Tommy Edmond in the two spot. He goes two for four with a walk. So looking pretty good. And his on-base percentage is up. His, I mean, his power is up as well. Uh, Tommy Edmond's been on a little bit of a roll. So you respond to that as a manager and you put him back in a prominent spot in the order. It comes through for you. Over his last 15 games, Tommy Edmond is slugging 707. On base of 393, so he's right at 1,100 for an OPS his last 15 games with four homers, so significant power uptick. He had the game winner, the double, last night. And uh, if you isolate it to his last seven, 423 batting average, 769 slug. He's 11 for his last 26 with a couple of homers. Looking pretty good, and suddenly that season-long statistics for him creeping back up, 734 OPS for Edmund. Uh, you definitely take that. You feel good about that. Like we've talked about, I mean, this guy is a tremendous ball player because he's so good defensively. Second base or shortstop, he's remained a plus defender for the Cardinals. It's why he's right up there toward the league lead in categories like wins above replacement because he just continues to get the job done defensively and those categories of statistics reward you for that. But offensively, the numbers had slipped a little bit, and you say, eh, that's kind of a puffed-up war, mostly based on what he does on defense. But now you can say, too, his offense is actually for the full season. I mean, 734 OPS is not, it's nothing to sneeze at. You get to 750 range, I'd call that pretty solid, especially in a year where it's just like offense seems to be down on the whole. You feel decent about what he's been able to do, even in fan graphs now, which does not reward the defense quite the way that baseball reference war wins above replacement, will do. Tommy Edmonds still has five war on the season, which ranks 20th in MLB this year. That's substantial. I mean, if you've got 30 MLB teams, on average, he is somebody's best player according to war. That's obviously not the case because they've got Arenado and Goldschmidt in the top 10 in war. I think both are hovering around the top five, in fact. But then if you look at baseball reference, 6.1 wins above replacement. So Tommy Evan, very valuable player. He'll be even more valuable if he continues to hit the way that he has over the past couple of weeks for the Cardinals. Really enjoy seeing that uptick, and it's crazy, the power production that he's had. And it's really been from both sides of the plate. We've seen some absolutely dynamite swings from him from the right side. But even from the left side, he's getting it done lately. The double last night to the opposite field. That won the game for the Cardinals on Wednesday. That was a left-handed swing. He was batting lefty mostly today with the right-handed starter, Josiah Gray. So, really great to see from Edmund. I liked him up there in the two-spot. Other hits from the Cardinals lineup. One for four for Goldie. He had an RBI. 1029 OPS. He's still 
consist- consistently the steady drum beat to make that MVP thing happen. And I mentioned Deluzio got his base hit. And then it was Yachty, two for four with the uh, two home runs. Three runs driven in. 11 hits on the day for the Cardinals. Several guys bunching him up in uh, multi-hit games. Donovan, Edmund, Dickerson, and Molina with multi-hit games. And then Goldie and Deluzio with a hit apiece. So you're pretty decently satisfied with that output offensively until you look across the aisle and see the Nationals had 18 hits and 11 runs. I mentioned not a great day for Wainwright, uncharacteristic, or so we feel like, right? We feel very good about Wainwright in general. And I uh, got the question from Dana maybe about, should we be worried about his recent outputs? It's two games in a row where he's sort of struggled, had that same line in consecutive games, five innings, four runs, nine hits, identical for two straight games. Had a couple of walks on September 3rd against the Cubs. No walks today, so that's good. Decently commanding the zone. And uh, you can go back all the way to, let's say, the beginning of August. He's had three games now where those, in that stretch, you've been kind of rough. It was against the Yankees. He gave up six runs, and then his last two in a row have been rough. But otherwise, still pretty good. Seven innings, no runs against the Cubs to begin August. And he had uh, that game against Milwaukee that should have been a complete game, but the Cardinals didn't score enough runs in nine innings to give it to him that way. But he gave up one run in nine innings, eight strikeouts. He's very dominant in that game. Dominant against the Rockies. Seven innings, no runs, seven Ks, no walks. Just gave up three hits in that game on August 18th. And then consecutive quality starts where he gritted through it a little bit more. On the 23rd, that was the uh, game one of the doubleheader between the Cardinals and the Cubs at uh, Wrigley Field. Six innings, two runs. Had four walks in that game. So, yeah, okay, those are those are creeping into his game a little more often. But still, 6-2. and two, It's a quality start. You'll take it. Six and two-thirds against Atlanta. Two runs, another quality start. But now you look over his last three starts, including that Atlanta game. Eight hits, nine hits, nine hits tonight. So, maybe not missing bats quite as often. He's never been a, I'm not going to say never, but recently the the new iteration of Wainwright has not been a guy who misses a ton of bats, but he still misses more bats than he's been missing his last three starts. Total of eight strikeouts over his last three games. Um, That's not quite where you want it to be. Even for a guy who doesn't pride himself on getting a ton of strikeouts, you have to miss more bats than that, I think, to be consistently effective. And if you don't, you run the risk at least of, exposing yourself to some bad luck. And I think that could be a little bit of what we've seen from Wainwright as well. Well, one thing I'll say for him, three starts in a row, no home runs allowed in any of those three starts. So it's not like he's getting shelled on making some just awful pitches and giving up homers. He hasn't given up a homer in any of those three uh, last three starts. So I understand Dana says she's a big uh, big fan of Adam Wainwright, and so maybe a little concerned that he's starting to lose a, lose a, a step here at the end of the season. Yeah, it's possible that he's getting a little run down. This guy, 41 years old now, and has been doing this for a long time. But I think, honestly, for me, I've I've said it a couple of years ago when I figured he was done, and a lot of people figured he was done, and I was proven wrong. I said at that point, well, I'm not going to make that mistake again. So even at age 41, I'm not going to count out Adam Wainwright for the remainder of the season. He's still... The guy I would want on the mound if the Cardinals had a, a game to win, especially if it's at home. Must win game. So I'm not worried about Adam Wainwright, Dana. I appreciate the question. 
I think he's going to be able to turn it around. We're going to see an, another vintage Wayno start from him soon. Uh, but yeah, something to keep an eye on because when you give up that many hits and you have that few amount of strikeouts over the last three, four games, you can even go back one further. Since August 23rd, four outings, total of 11 strikeouts. 3Ks, 4Ks, 2Ks, 2Ks over the last four games. But he hasn't given up a home run since August 13th. So, yeah, he's given up more hits. But is it always of the, the variety that really kills you? No, it really hasn't been. And so, that for me, that's why I'm not drawing any sweeping conclusions at this point about Wayno. Uh, but certainly the Cardinals are going to want him to be in great shape heading into the playoffs because that's where they're going to need him to be pitching his best. But not entirely worried right now about it. Even over the last month or so, month plus, his ERAs remained about the same. ERA in the low threes. He's been fine. I think he's going to be fine moving forward. But the rest of the bullpen was a concern. Not the rest of the bullpen, but the bullpen was a concern for the Cardinals from Thursday's loss. When you give up 18 hits and 11 runs, somebody had to have not done their job, and pretty much nobody did their job. Wainwright would tell you he didn't do his job. Andre Palante has struggled a little bit of, of recently. He only got one out while giving up a couple of hits and charged with an earned run. Jordan Hicks, one and a third, two hits, two earned runs. He also walked a batter. Chris Stratton was the only guy on the day for the Cardinals of the five pitchers we saw that recorded a scoreless appearance. An inning of third, one hit allowed, no runs. Poor Stratton. And then James nailed, kind of got nailed. Uh, one inning, gave up four earned runs, four hits, and a walk. He was sort of the mop-up situation there. And that was when Ollie Marmol sort of threw in the towel late in the game. We saw Goldie and Arenado get pinch hit for, got him out of the game. Don't know how much I agree with that. Like, you just saw the day before what the Cardinals were able to do coming back from a four-run deficit to score five runs in the ninth inning. It can be done. Now, today, it was a seven-run deficit in the ninth inning. So, obviously, different scenario. Not as likely. But at the same time, you've seen it. You've seen them do it. So, I don't know how much I love it. That being said, I get it. It's not the end of the world. Doesn't bother me too much. And neither does really anything Ollie Marmel did today bother me too much. A lot of comments saying, oh, this is the kind of game that shows me that Ollie Marmel doesn't know how to manage a bullpen or comments of the like. And I'm thinking, y'all, you gave up 18 hits. Every single pitcher he went to, except for Stratton, struggled in this game. How is that on the manager? He's got to have somebody pitch. You're going to tell me that Literally all the guys he named, Palante, Jordan Hicks, and again, James Nail. Game was you're down by three runs at that point before Nail comes into the game in the ninth. Who was he supposed to pitch? You wanted to throw Ryan Helsley in a game you're down by multiple runs? We've been over this, guys. You, you can't do that. You can't just throw your best relievers every single day, no matter the game situation, because you don't want to get blown out. Like you gotta have guys in the bullpen that can cover those innings. Nail has been a guy that prior to today had covered those innings. He had a very low ERA in, in the appearances that he'd had, and then he got roughed up. ERA goes from like one point something to five. But he's part of the bullpen. Other guys are going to have to contribute. This is the, the roster. This is what it looks like on days where you don't have a lead, where you keep coughing it up, where your starter doesn't get you more than five innings, where he doesn't get you out of there with a, a healthy lead. You go with the, the B squad a little bit. 
And today, that group didn't get it done. Now, it's not like Jordan Hicks isn't a guy that's going to be in important games. He will pitch in games that matter. Palante will pitch in games that matter, in games that are close. But at the end of the day, if those guys have a bad day, that's not on Ollie Marmol to me. It's on the pitchers who had a bad day. And you don't have to make more of it than it is. 18 hits? Yeah, you're probably going to lose that game. But I just disagree with the people who freaked out about it and said, no, it's Ollie Marmol. Please. The manager is the last guy that I'm looking at in a, a game where you allowed 18 hits. He can't just pull every right string and say, oh, I know which four relievers are going to be great today. So I'm going to use them, even though the score is what it is after the starter didn't get us the job that we needed. It's just one of those things. I can't possibly fathom looking at Ali Marmol after today and saying, yep, that's what that's the problem with this team. First of all, there's not many problems with this team. They're still eight games up in the division. They're going to win the NL Central. But no, I'm not worried about Ali Marmol's management of a bullpen. In fact... I know it's easy to decry those things and to say that there, there are problems on days where they lose and a reliever that he brings in does poorly. But honestly, I prefer Ollie Marmol's bullpen management to pretty much every manager that they've had since Tony LaRusa. Is better than Matheny, better than Schilt? I would say so. Like, Schilt was fine. But sometimes there were some moves that puzzled me. I've never really been puzzled by Ollie, but but just in a few instances. And when it's happened, we've come on the podcast and talked about him, and he's defended them by explaining what the reasoning was. He's very open about those things. He can get a little prickly about it, but he'll tell you the reasoning and what the thought process was, I think, better than previous managers would have done. He's a straight shooter, Ollie Marmel. I can't I, – I, I guess it's just – the nature of being a baseball fan that you're going to hate your manager of your team at times, you're going to think he's bad. But if you're objective about it and you look at what Ollie has actually done, unless you're maybe just one of those old school baseball fans who you don't like some of the newer stuff and, and the newer ways of going about things, I think there's pretty much nothing to dislike about what Ollie Marmel has done as a manager this season. But we'll see what he's able to do, what the Cardinals are able to do the rest of the way. They've got a schedule that's favorable to kind of wrap this thing up in the NL Central. They play the Pirates nine more times. The first of those nine comes on Friday. Cardinals now head out for a quick road trip to Pittsburgh before bringing it back to Bush with a couple of games against the Brewers and then a long series against the Reds next week. Weak teams, though. NL Central's got some weak teams. The Cardinals play several of them. Nine games against Pittsburgh, five against Cincinnati remaining on the season. Outside of that, you do have a rough road trip. San Diego, Los Angeles for the Dodgers, and then two at the Brewers, where things could get a little haywire. Like if the Cardinals go one and six out west and they go into Milwaukee with the Brewers riding high because they played some weaker teams, I could see things getting a little bit dicey there. But on the whole, if you play 14 games against the Reds and Pirates, you've got to be able to win a good majority of those games and therefore wrap up the division. Don't lose four in a row to the Brewers, but that's really the only way that this goes poorly getting swept the rest of the way by Milwaukee and then getting beat up by some of those good teams out West like the Padres and Dodgers. I just don't see any way that those things combine to happen, so I feel good about where the Cardinals are at right now. But we'll have to continue on B-Shape Daily the rest of the weekend and the rest of the season as we get toward October. So make sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you'll never miss an episode. 
That's going to do it, though, for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. Make sure to rate and review again the podcast. Give us five stars, would you? And uh, write a little note so that new people picking up the podcast will know what we're all about here on the show. Appreciate you guys tremendously, tremendously. And we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.